Hi, I'm Amana. And I'm Mawinia. And you are listening to The Elephants in the Room. The Elephant in the Room this week is Harry and Meghan and their sit-down interview with Oprah. It's been two weeks since the interview aired and while there has been much speculations and gossip about it, that's not what we want to talk about in this episode. That's right. Regardless of whether you agree with the way they went about the interview, what your personal opinion on Meghan, Harry and the royal family are, today we don't want to spend lots of time speculating on those issues. What we want to do is think about the implications of the interview and the indisputably important issues that they raised. Issues which resonated with a lot of people. Yeah, but before we jump into that topic, Amana, how are you? How has your week been? Well, it's been one of those weeks where I feel like I live in the library and it's so boring because I just feel like as we've started the podcast my life is just every time we do an episode I'm like yeah I'm just working um oh yeah yeah this time I'm just working as well and it makes me sound like the most boring person in the world but it's just that season you know at the Mm -hmm. moment my dissertation is due really soon so I'm just kind of getting my head down getting on with that but it's been all right like it's going fine it's just long but I'm enjoying writing it I do Um, not and actually weirdly a lot of like yeah exactly that well it, for me it's fourth year because of my year abroad but it's just like you know when you're doing so much of it that it feels like it's everywhere my my dissertation's on empathy in literature and it just feels like empathy is everywhere now as well you know right. I'm just looking around mm-hmm. and I'm like everything is about my diss but it's interesting it's making me feel like it's worth doing as well how are you doing um I think this week has just been heavy it's it was International Women's Day in the month of March and just so many things Megan's interview Sarah her murder I just think it's just so much weight in the air so I've just been feeling very heavy thinking about women's issues um women's rights so it's been a challenging yeah. week just emotionally in terms of what is going on in the world but apart from that I've been okay just work completed my 5k so yes I can run a 5k yeah, well so that's something to be happy about but yeah that's how my week has been I definitely found the same thing this week that's what I mean when I say empathy is coming in everywhere mm-hmm. I feel like we're really realizing how important it is to try and understand right the situations of other people and I honestly believe that the only way that we can properly do that is by listening and trying to empathize with their situation yeah this week has been a lot and I think it's important to recognize that as well yeah. that it does take its toll and so we have to be honest with each other and we want to be honest with you guys as well that it's not been easy no seeing all this news and so sometimes it just feels like you want to turn it off anyway so we're now going to move on to a great section yeah which is the dish of the week so what is your dish of the week this week Mourinho? my dish of the week this week is a breakfast dish and i'm gonna upload it later to our instagram i made pancakes and bacon and i absolutely adore pancakes and bacon i first tasted it at the breakfast club in london bridge and after that i was like i need this recipe i need to know how to make it so i've been making pancakes for years literally those years of making lopsided pancakes horrible pancakes mean I have the (laughs) perfect recipe for pancakes and obviously I wholeheartedly believe in making your pancakes from scratch do not buy store-bought it doesn't taste the same I don't care if it's Aunt Jenny's or Aunt Jackie's it's not tasting the same you have to make it from scratch and so you know know the recipe it's a simple (laughs) egg flour milk sugar cinnamon and vanilla essence add your drops of vanilla essence it really gives it just Mm. a different taste 
the first pancake on the frying pan, it just never comes out right. That is actually due to chemistry, but I'm not gonna bore people, but there's an actually a chemistry why it doesn't work out your first pancake. But after that, you've got golden brown fluffy pancakes with your bacon that you fry, however you like it. I'm really a big fan again of caramelized bacon. I think America just made me develop some really bad habits when I was staying there for a year, but caramelized yeah. bacon, bacon that tastes sweet and it's like fried, like fried crisp. Mm. Drench it in syrup and you have a brunch dish for the ages. I can't go after this. Like this, anything I say now is going to sound so bland. Is that, are they like the fat pancakes? They're not, they're not sort of like crepe mm, ones. No, they're not prep pancakes. They are, they're thick because they use um, self-rising flour, but they're not like American thick. Because you know, there's American pancakes. Yeah. They're not American thick, but they're thick. Yeah. Sometimes I find the thick ones too much because it's yeah. like, you can only have one, you know what I mean? And then you can't even taste the toppings. It's just Sounds so a bit horrible pancake. after a while. Yeah, that's true. What about you? What was your dish of the week? So when you were talking, I was like, maybe I should change my dish. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I've actually had some really nice food this week. I think when you are working hard, like it's important to reward yourself with nice food. Like take some time to prep it because it's actually a really good therapy just to have some time cooking, you know, because mm-hmm. you're thinking, but it's not the kind of relaxation that you do when you go on Instagram. It's like a practical thing you can do. Give your mind some space. So this week I decided to, I wanted to make some nice lunches to go to the library with and stuff. Aww, so I've so been, I'm looking at me go. <laughs> so I thought, let me just, let me just try this quinoa business. Oh. Uh, so I've had quinoa before, but I never really make it myself. In all honesty, it kind of scares me. I've done couscous before. That's so easy. But quinoa, right. I don't know something about it. It just freaks me out. But anyway, I did some I did some quinoa. And it, I basically did like a quinoa beetroot, feta, like onions, kind of salad thing, which was so nice. It was just really fresh and had added some rocket in there and some coriander. Wow. And it was just a good thing to, you know, like... What a uni, it babe. It me feel like, oh, I have some part of my life in, in order, you know? True. But then also my housemate made a treacle tart yesterday. Which nice. So nice. I love I treacle. treacle so you've got to offset the healthiness. Right? I love treacle. But yeah. Did you have it with custard? Do you know there's people out there who don't like custard? That bewilders me. I love me. custard. Bewilders no, me. so weird. Do you remember in school we had chocolate custard? Do you remember that? Cake yes, and I did. But theirs they was lumpy. I don't want to remember that. <laughs> it was slightly strange, the chocolate one. But cake and custard, like, good memories of that. Yeah. They gave you Apple crumble and custard. I don't know how to do it without custard. Mm-hmm. To be fair, some of the school food was actually all right. Yeah. Some of it was weird. Their jollof rice was quite, like, I don't even know what was going I, on. I there. don't think we should That's mention fair. their orange rice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can't even call it jollof, yeah, it jollof rice. Like, their orange rice. I'm not even gonna. This week's conspiracy theory is looking into the death of Princess Diana. We're gonna try to discuss why conspiracy theories have risen about it and what do we make of them. On August the 31st, 1997, Princess Diana was killed in a fatal car crash in Paris alongside her boyfriend Dodi, the son of the Egyptian billionaire. And given both the high profiles of Princess Diana and her boyfriend, from their death emerged 175 conspiracies and some were even put forward by Dodie's father. These conspiracy theories were so convincing and widespread that the Met Police actually had to investigate into them and it lasted years and costed millions of pounds. So we're going to touch on two. We don't have time for 175. Mm-mm. The first one is that Diana herself believed she was going to be killed by the establishment. The main motivating factor behind that conspiracy theory is the fact that she had written a letter disclosed by her butler later where she wrote that in this particular phase of her life is the most dangerous in blank is planning an accident in my car 
brake failure and serious head injury in order to make the path clear for Charles to marry, it read. When Diana wrote the letter, she had experienced problems with her car and had voiced fears about them and her bodyguard had died in an accident. So there was already a worry she had about dying in a car due to things she'd experienced and due to, I guess, how she was being treated within the royal family. If you've watched The Crown, you you probably know. The second part of the conspiracy theory was that MI16, and please don't come after me, but MI16 may have had a role behind this. And this is because there was a theory that Princess Diana was a threat to the stability of the empire and had to be quote unquote taken out. MI16 were alleged to have bugged Princess Diana on numerous occasions and revealed tape which led to her breakup with Prince Charles. Her security guard, who survived the car crash, had extensive military training, and this reason was given as to linking him with MI16 and the death of Diana. And also, one former MI16 operative, Richard Thomason, swore that MI16 were at the heart of the death of Princess Diana and that they had been following her for some time beforehand. However, a few months later, he retracted his statement and said he must have misremembered. Amana, what do you make of all of this? This is intense. I, it's they're wow, they're really big. They're really big claims. Like a lot of this stuff, it's really, it's really deep. Like I said, so I always feel reluctant to speculate too much on things that I don't have enough information on. Mm -hmm. But and also because this is like someone's life we're talking about, right? And I don't, I think we have sensitive and we have to be so careful about how we talk about these things. I think that, like we've discussed with many of the other conspiracy theories, there's often sentiment that's true right. behind them like it doesn't necessarily mean that the conspiracy theory itself is true but there's it, it for me it just corroborates a lot of the the experience she'd had right the exactly and the the negativity that she was experiencing from like the royal family and the disapproval mm-hmm. that she experienced throughout her life like throughout her marriage to Charles so as much as I don't know how much I believe of the fact that it was an orchestrated death yeah I think that the themes that run through it are really sad and a lot Mm -hmm. of them are true unfortunately like for example the fact that she was the car crash that she died in Mm -hmm. was while they were running away from the paparazzi and trying to avoid avoid the paparazzi chasing them so there's a kind of tragic tone to it which as much as the theories themselves might not be exactly true there's really sad undertones to it yeah what do you think I think you know Diana is the the people's princess and my mum oh my gosh because it's crazy because she died before I was born I was born in 98 but every documentary we're sitting down and watching it every show we're watching it and I think people do want to find something to believe in or find something to rationalize what had happened that someone that was so so beloved because of her humanitarian work and because of her relatability had died in such a way I don't know it's one of those topics I don't even want to probe deeper into thinking could could Mm. they would they but I think at the heart of it what you said is the fact that she was they were driving away and they were being hounded by the press behind them yeah and I think even in her death the fact that the press were still there taking pictures I think that thread has continued and I think we see it it shows how relentless they right. are yeah and I think we see it when it comes to Harry and Meghan and how mm. his aversion I would say to the press definitely in a way stems from that yeah yeah for sure I think it leads really well into our discussion today because 
the as we saw with Diana the the hounding of her by the press and the kind of unrelenting abuse that she received from a lot of the press did in some ways like indirectly lead to her death because of the fact that they were running away from the mm-hmm. press at the time and it shows that there are tangible effects tangible like ramifications to the press's treatment of people like we saw that with Caroline Flack and we saw that we've seen that with other women in the spotlight and I think, like you said, it explains a lot about Harry's like, aversion towards the press, his own unresolved relationship with the press and his perhaps desire to get back and to take back the narrative because he saw what happened to his mum. So I definitely think that, yeah, the relationship between the press and the treatment of these women and, and the, what it results in in the end is something that really drives this discussion about the interview. This week, the elephant in the room is Harry and Meghan's interview. Harry and Meghan sat down with Oprah for a two-hour interview to discuss their decision stepping back as senior royals and what they allege to be happening behind the scenes in the palace. Now, for some background information, Harry and Meghan married in 2018, and since then, they've had an up-and-down relationship with the British press. In 2020, Harry and Meghan decided to step back as senior royals, move to Canada and then to California. And in this interview with Oprah, they touched on the topics of mental health, the British press and racism in the royal family. So, Amana, what was your first initial reaction to the interview? Well, to be honest, I think there was so much hype on it, around it on social media and stuff that it actually was massively just kind of scandal mm-hmm. loads of questions about why they were doing the interview whether they were going about it in the right way but actually then on watching it I think that it was so clear that regardless of what your views are of the royal family what your views are of Harry and Meghan and their decision to leave as well to stop being senior members of the royal family I was just struck by the importance of a lot of the issues they raised and I was pleased to see that I think a lot of these conversations are coming out into the open and that questions are being asked but it was really heartbreaking to see some aspects of it um like particularly Megan's struggle with mental health I found that really like that evoked a lot of sadness and disappointment as well in in the way that the press drove someone to reach that point especially when we look back at Diana and what happened to her you would think that over time people would learn from their mistakes yeah um what did you think i can't lie my first reaction was the royal family is wicked and bad like literally that is what i was screaming at my tv i was like y'all are wicked and bad i cried like i cried during that interview and then i got angry during that interview and then i cried again and then i got angry again like my emotions were everywhere but now that i've had like two weeks to process and to think about the wider implications of that interview i just i don't i think i am left feeling like wow kind of like their interview was like this is britain this is the uk this is everything that you see happening in the subsets of society or in the corners that no one really talks about or no one really touches on and it's being shown on tv for us all to see I was sad because, you know, growing up on Disney, I love Disney. And I was like, oh, yeah, I want to be a princess. I want to be like a Cinderella story. And when you're watching that interview, you're like, no, I I do not want to be a princess. I do not want that responsibility. Mm. I do not want to go through what they've gone through and what they've alleged to have been put through and the lack of support. So I think there was a lot that was touched in that interview that deserves to be fleshed out. 
in our conversation and to think about what do what they've alleged to said what does that mean for us in the UK and um, our lives yeah I think for me the thing that was really powerful was how much it seemed to resonate with people yeah the same with when you look back at Diana and how much you said earlier that she was the people's princess. Yeah, my mum's princess. There's something about these stories. Like we said, regardless of of what your speculations are about Meghan, her as a person, Harry as a person, in a way it doesn't matter because what happened when that interview came out and how much it resonated with people across the UK and across the world and how much it brought up. There are issues that were raised which are really important and need to be spoken about and they're real experiences that a lot of people have had in some shape or form. And so that's kind of what we want to do today with this conversation, kind of like hone in on some of those issues that were raised and think about what does that look like in the UK and what does that look like in other aspects outside of the royal family but also looking at the royal family and their role in society and what the future of that is. I guess this leads on quite well to looking at the media in the right. UK and particularly the press and what their power is, what their role is, their responsibility. What would you say for you, the point of the media, the British media? What I've seen of the press is creating polarised opinions and shaping people's narratives and shaping people's thought processes on how they view people. And I think the Oprah interview was to me so shocking the power the British press has that even the royal family dances with them and needs their backing to be seen in a favourable light to the public. And when I'm talking about the press, I am speaking about some of the far-right press that post stories without sometimes truth in it can have the ability to literally create a narrative of someone, even if it's false. Because you, you do remember in the beginning of their relationship, and other people have mentioned that the press was very favourable. It was like, wow, this is Megan, this is this. And then slowly but surely, you started to see it kind of turn, saying like straight out of Compton, exotic DNA, just these colonial undertones mm. in their messaging that was stirring within people something very deep inside that had a hatred for other. And I think the press knowingly, because when they act like they didn't know what they did, they knowingly stirred up people's, let's say, dislike or blatant mm, racism mm. for other people and created a villain in Meghan Markle. That's my personal opinion. They created a villain in Meghan Markle by their stories. And I think it scares me to see how how media can truly shape people's opinions on someone yeah. to, to yeah. make them dislike them and make them want them to go to be so polarised. That shocked mm. me. You touched on how they were polarising. They were really negative in their portrayal of Megan after a while when she sort of fell out of favor right suddenly there was so much abuse towards her in the press and I don't think this is just her claiming it as in there is so much evidence for this a lot of us have seen on social media the comparisons between the portrayal of Kate and the portrayal of Megan and actually a Labour MP Holly Lynch in 2019 wrote a letter of support an open letter of support for Megan which 72 female MPs signed which spoke about how the voluntary regulation had failed voluntary regulation of the press and Harry touched on this in the interview the colonial undertones that you mentioned that were in the stories that were written about Megan. So when Ms Lynch spoke about the letter that she wrote, she said that what they said was that there's got to be integrity in the British press and we've got to know that something is in the public interest when it's published and that it's not just tearing down a woman in public life for no reason. 
72 female MPs signed this. This is like 72 female MPs saying there was racism in the way that she was portrayed in the press. So before this interview even, there was undoubtedly a treatment of Meghan that had colonial undertones. And there was also a treatment of her as a woman, very abusive yeah, for sure. treatment of her that is completely unfair unfounded regardless of your personal opinion of right do you know what i find kind of scary is the fact that diana actually talked about that she said since her divorce from prince charles that the press had been given her negative treatment and she says she didn't understand why her genuinely good intentions were sneered at by the media and why there appeared to be a request on their behalf to bring her down and i think the parallels that you see sometimes with harry and meg and princess diana the fact that When she divorced from Charles, she was literally hounded and spoken about so negatively by... It's scary and shocking the way that they will turn on you dependent on who they have in interest, you know what I mean? Like, who they want the public to either go for. If they want you to hate someone, they can write stories to make you hate someone. And I think, how is that allowed to happen? Yeah, I think it begs the question how are we regulating the press? Right. How should press be regulated? And I think that's a massive question right now. The freedom of the press is something that's very important in the UK. But there's also on the other side of that, freedom of the press does not mean abusing someone, racially discriminating right. against them openly in the papers. And that is should never be acceptable. And that's what these 72 MPs were, were standing up for. And it's important that there are regulations in place. I know that there is, there's Ofcom, which is where you can send in complaints about broadcasting, but then there's specific ones for press. And I don't know if you've heard about the Leveson inquiry, which happened in 2013, yes. and that was after the phone hacking scandal. Yeah. And so then after that, the Royal Charter was introduced, which was instead of having legislation through the government, it was introduced through the Queen, through the royal family, which basically means that there's certain changes that they could make that would mean that for the changes to the law to be made, a two-third majority vote would have to happen. Also because there's massive reservations amongst the government in state intervention into the press. So having it as the royal charter kind of separated it from that. And so this royal charter then introduced a kind of regulating body, but it was a voluntary regulating body. So it meant that press didn't actually have to be part of it. And so there's also two independent press regulators in in the UK, which are Impress and IPSO. So those are the main ones that a lot of the press use. But from reading a lot about it, I was sort of trying to find, okay, where is the line? Like how does how are these papers getting away with so much when there's supposedly these regulatory bodies but from what it seems there are rules in place but to pursue a complaint and to sue someone it does take a lot of energy and often you might you might not be successful so essentially there's a lot of like unspoken rules about okay if you're criticizing a politician the politician can't really do anything to to respond because it's kind of an unspoken rule that politicians are allowed to be criticised. So there's little kind of unspoken rules like that that play into it, which makes the role of the regulatory bodies quite complicated. The problem is that in tandem with these regulatory bodies, there's also loads of unspoken rules. But then I think on top of that, there's a lot of like a lot of newspapers will have budgets for being sued and they'll have insurance for if they get sued and things like that. They're perhaps publishing stuff knowing that they might be sued, but thinking it's worth the risk anyway. So that's also another element. Which so is maybe scary. it's more about mm. Yeah, exactly. So it's perhaps like 
question of changing perceptions as well so that people are questioning more what they're reading not just thinking oh the press is saying it I'm just going to read it and like let it pass yeah I think I think essentially all of us need to take responsibility and start thinking when we read stuff are we questioning it enough because I don't think we do true I think we take what perhaps not what the press the tabloid press say but general media I think what a lot of what we read we don't question we don't look further than what we've read and we should be looking at a diverse range of sources when we're reading about stuff when we're watching things you shouldn't just be taking the BBC as your only source of information because it's people you know it's people running it true it's not, with their own opinions and it's their not own completely biases. objective exactly yeah I was gonna say do you think the fact that Meghan Markle was a successful actress who had already been married was a divorcee and was already an outspoken activist campaigner humanitarian on women's right mm. troubled the royal family and also troubled, I would say, the media. Do you think? I feel like it's two different things, isn't it? Like the royal family and the media. The thing with speculating about the royal family thing, I always find hard because I, we don't know them. We don't know what... We really don't know where they stand. But with the press... Or should we say see, the institution of the royal family then? Yeah, I guess so. Naturally, okay, the royal family is, is a traditional institution. Right. It kind of represents a lot of things that have been quite outdated now Mm -hmm, in the UK mm -hmm. so naturally I think that there will be certain things that will be quite stuck in the past so Megan is kind of the typical example of a modern woman yeah and so she perhaps doesn't fit with and so I think Diana was also quite modern in her outlook and wasn't afraid to be emotional and sentimental about things and so I think there's certain aspects which is like Megan didn't work with the royal family because she was basically just not the right fit and that's not to say that her, the treatment of that of her was wasn't terrible yeah but it's to say that yeah I, I think you have a point when you like ask that question about whether they were resistant to her because I think that naturally a hundreds of years old institution will have resistance because the royal family as an institution is known to be resistant to change Definitely. so that doesn't surprise me I think in terms of the press yes similar things I think some of the criticism of her is just so bizarre like her eating avocado on her toast it shows that there is definitely some sort of vendetta when yeah. you look at Piers Morgan's response to her it is so strange let's, his obsession let's, let's not even go into we Piers asked Morgan. for some questions to be sent through for this episode and yeah one of the questions was can we talk about this obsession that he has because it is so odd I think yeah people do feel threatened by Megan because she does represent a strong independent woman yeah which people don't actually when it comes which down is, to which is it's true like they don't it. they don't like it and I think society's been lying when they think that they want strong independent women because they think you have a woman like Meghan Markle who is very outspoken about mm. her views who since from the age of 12 was right into Procter and Gamble to say your advert is misogynistic and and then so she comes into the royal family you know that she has that line like Oprah says were you silent or were you silent oh <laughs> and um that's gonna be, be a meme forever. literally but even in that I was like wow because it made me think about women when they do get married or when they do enter into a new Mm. family is there this loss of identity are you forced to shed away part of you and who you are to Mm. fit and you know everyone's saying oh well you know what the royal family is but they they've been saying that they're trying to keep up with the times they're trying to say that they're trying to modernize and improve because they know a revolution will throw them out and so you have this person who is biracial who is um spoken about views that matter in society and i i think people were not ready that and they still were not ready and they they want to uphold a traditional quote unquote mm. family 
with a woman that doesn't really say much, that doesn't have much of an opinion and is can just fade into the background. Do you know what I mean? Mm. That you don't really mm. know much about them. But with Megan, you knew who she was. You knew what she stood for. And I think that created problems. And I think even Diana, when my mum talks about her, she'll say stuff like she did things royals wouldn't do. Like she held um, children who had AIDS. She, she talked with people that were sick that you wouldn't even want to do. She mm. did that. And that kind of breaking of protocol, that kind of doing what humans like need empathy is what made her yeah. relatable loved and sometimes hated by by people that, yeah. that she could yeah. connect and I think Megan you know Harry said it on his thing she could connect with people in a way that other royals probably can't or struggle with but I think it's like you said she was hated she was loved like Diana and I think it's interesting when you look at these character assassinations that happen of women in the media, because it's like, I don't see that happening to men in the same way. No, I don't see oh my gosh. People will criticise these women for being too emotional, right? but then they'll also make very emotional arguments as to why they don't like them. Oh yeah, and Do you know what I mean? So it's very odd. And the treatment of, we've seen it time and time again, the treatment of women in the media is really terrible. And I think we all have to look at how how we're perhaps exacerbating the problem as well by sometimes buying into shows like, I mean, I loved watching Love Island, but I will admit that there's some really destructive aspects of shows like that, which do objectify women and men, both sides. But I think that there is with, for example, with, with the situation of Caroline Flack, mm-hmm. with Jade Goody is another person who comes to mind when I think about women who are completely trolled by the media. And I Karina don't like Williams the as well. use of this. Yeah, and the use of this word troll is just such a dampening of what's actually happening. Right. This is bullying and it's abusing. Exactly. And I think that people keep getting caught up in, yeah, but Megan was, you know, rude to her staff, da da da. It doesn't really matter if Megan was rude to her staff. Like, you shouldn't be pushing her to a point of being suicidal. Like, I, I don't really understand how it ends up being so much about the character of the woman and whether the woman is deserving of good right. opinion. Or I know that when you're famous, you're putting yourself in the in the spotlight, but there still does not ever justify the character assassination that happens of women. And I would like to see some examples of that happening in the same way to men, because I just don't think it is. I don't think it is at all the case. I don't think it is at all. And I think when she talked about like her mental health, I think that created a lot of. I think uh, sadness in me because the fact that you have a woman who is contemplating suicide but contemplating suicide whilst pregnant it's like Mm. what how have you been driven to this point and how are you still at this point do you know what I mean when she talks about the lack of support and the lack of resources and I think that that is a reality for many people still today many people still today contemplating suicide and they're not being support whether it is in our health Mm. system Mm. whether it is within their own families Mm. you know certain topics are still Mm. uncomfortable for certain people to talk about and I think that for me really kind of hit me that wow you know they go out you know they do these events where they're smiling at fundraisers and they're hugging people but inside they're mm-hmm. they're dying and they're broken inside I think that for me was not a clear picture but a good picture of what it looks like sometimes when people are depressed and you've got friends that are mm-hmm. smiling and their life this was is a exactly party it. but behind yeah. closed doors like they're contemplating suicide or depression. I think this is exactly it like this interview you may watch it and think oh this is not to do with me because it's about the royal family it's about famous people it's about like celebrity a celebrity culture that is in a different kind of universe to me mm. but actually what we see in this situation is 
specific example of something that happens time and time again right. in the UK. Like black people voices being silenced when they that they need to be listened to, women being silenced, depression not being talked about openly enough, people not being able to find help when they need it. I think that we need to take all these issues really seriously. And we need to think about how how much are we taking these issues seriously in our own life and what are we doing in our own world? There's the example of the institution of the royal family and the experience that Meghan and, and Harry say that they had so is a narrative that's played out in the UK. Right, the UK, exactly. Which is why I think, for me, the story resonated with a lot of people. Like You saw a lot of um, women saying, wow, this yeah. is something I've been through. And, uh, you know, they're not Megan. They weren't on the, you know, they weren't in the cast of suits. They're not a princess. They were, right. they are normal people Regular who've had a similar situation. Mm-hmm. So I think that there's definitely a narrative that we need to take seriously here. And there's, yeah, there's undoubtedly so much more to unpack. It's very kind of never ending. I know, right. That could, be, that could be asked. If someone was to ask you, Amana, though, is the royal family, is the monarchy relevant for today? What would your answer be? Well, I think you can't just like get rid of something because actually. It well, is... the French did. <laughs> yeah, no, no. But what I'm saying is, I'm saying as in you can't like delete something like you can delete a photo, like the, the marks will always be there. So I think we need to have a serious conversation about what their role is. Yeah. And what what is the point of them um and whether they do have relevance today i think we should be having more honest conversations about that and also whether what they represent should be upheld in today's society so i think that it's not a question of should we just get rid of them it's a question of let's ask some serious questions about what they mean as an institution why we still have a royal family right whether it's you know so it's like asking those questions and sort of engaging with this yeah which i think it's high time it happened what do you think do you think that also do you think that this interview will have like a big impact on the royal family seen after that they have been photographed with some black people after which i think is quite interesting seeing as uh, megan spoke <laughs> about someone having concerns about how dark archie's skin tone was and i know like because i saw this all over the papers and people were surprised but for me that wasn't even shocking i was like for me it, it was kind of a given that i thought the royal family was racist or at least the institution is built on colonialism and going around to countries and make taking them and saying that they're mine like how do those two dots not make you think that this institution at least is not racist and i think the relevance of the monarchy i think they had a really do you know as she said they had a really good opportunity to show that they're relevant and that they're with it mm. and i think in their never complain never explain i saw that from the crown they have shown that they are quite far behind a wolf the people thought that they were you know they have all these charities on mental health and we think that they're actually okay they're engaging with the current issues in society but then when your own family member comes to you or have been expressing some um, concerns about bullying about mental health and it's shoved away it makes me question that I don't think you are relevant I think you want to appear like you're relevant so that we can keep paying our taxes and you can still have Mm. your palaces but I don't think that the royal family at least to me, is relevant. And I think Piers Morgan and him not allowing people to criticise the Queen or to have an actual critical thought concerning the royal family is damaging, you know. This whole idea of divine rights of kings, that they're, like, under the authority of God and they're selected by God, etc. You should still be able to question your leaders. You should still be able to question Mm. the people that is on your money, you know, and think, like... But do you see, like, where... Piers Morgan's not a good example because he's just so annoying. (laughs) But... 
do you see people who maybe feel a bit attacked by this interview? Do you do you see their side? Maybe like British people who. But the Queen's not your mum. Like the royal she, family represents. No, but she's not your mum and she's not your nan. Like they, I'm sorry, people need <laughs> assistance themselves from the royals. Like no, I'm no. But not- this is the thing. This is the thing. I think you touched on it when we spoke about this before. People feel very close to the royal family. That's weird. Really they need to analyse that. their relationship. People who feel like it's almost a part of their family because they feel like they know this family so well. But I think what this interview has revealed that we don't know them as well no. as, as you maybe <laughs> think you do. Do you know what I mean? They aren't, like you said, she ain't your nan. She's not your nan. Like, she's not going to be knitting you little socks at Christmas. Do you know what I mean? She'll be Zooming <laughs> Archie. No, I think I think that there should be, we should have a nuanced discussion about Definitely. this. People should be really open to the conversation. And that's the only way that we can realistically go forward. And I think it is so important that we do try and find productive, constructive ways of going forward. How can we do things better? How can we make the media kinder and more honest as well? Because we spoke about truth. And I think that's the most important thing that the media should be doing. Should be telling the truth. I guess there's a whole question around what is truth and um, who can define what truth is. But I think that trying to broadcast and share as diverse a range of stories as possible is where you will find truth because by having diversity yeah you at least have people then have access to a diverse range of stories and and narratives and histories and situations that can then lead people to make the best judgment they can rather than platforms which are so narrow and so so heavily opinionated Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and with such such clear agendas Mm -hmm. that actually it doesn't give any kind of scope for learning or for your ideas being challenged or for you looking outside your little bubble right and so Amana if we were to move this conversation what would be maybe your two wishes and a star or your tip your recommendations or what you want to come out from this interview what you want people to think about not the gossip not the speculations but what are the implications for us you know regular schmeglers (laughs) regular schmeglers I think that people have tried so much in a lot of the commentary around this to sort of be, there's been so much kind of fact checking and things. And yeah, it's important that we question things and we ask the question, okay, is this truth? You know, all of that jazz. I think that's really important. But I think people, when it comes down to it, when you watch that interview or when you read any story like that, just engage with your feelings and think, okay, what is this person going through? What are they telling me they're going through? And have a little bit of empathy because we've spoken a lot about empathy in this episode but I think it is you can't remove empathy and emotion from rational arguments Mm -hmm. they do not go separately they are hand in hand and feeling is so important for making any kind of persuasive realistic rational argument or point so I think we should be open to feeling something we should be open to trying to understand other people's situations and listen and then on top of that, like what I mentioned before, just expose yourself to a diverse range of media yeah. platforms. Don't just be reading one site and fact check. When you read something, think, okay, is this true? Mm-hmm. Because just because it lines up with what you think, that doesn't mean it's true. To be honest, you should be questioning those things even more. We don't want to be living in an echo chamber. Exactly. And we should be open to other people's opinions because that's where the most productive conversations happen. I agree with um, you. What about you? What do you think we could, yeah, where can we go from I here? I think where we can go from here is that I think if you have family members who are suffering with mental health, I think if they come to you and ask for help, if they're that brave, I think that interview taught me a lot about family and how important it is and to actually 
connect with them try to help them and as you said empathize with them I think that is the first thing and I think the second point is media I think the great thing about I guess being born post 2000s that there's so much other media outlets you can look like Fox Vice Huffington Post like these are different away from your let's say tabloids press and I think having new media outlets that have started in this decade these two decades have been amazing and some are black owned and some are good and balanced and I think that's important that we have a range of sources to look at and you can even go to the horse mouth itself you know they're able like Mm. the royals are able to have their own platforms these days and have an instagram account and a podcast or whatever so i think that's a good thing and so tips and recommendations i would recommend diana in her own words that is one of my favorite documentary is literally she did audio recordings and a journalist i can't remember his name but he wrote it down in, in her book which is called diana in her own words but there's a documentary about it you know harry and megan said they've watched the crown so if it's good enough for them you can watch the crown as well understanding that it has got <laughs> elements of fiction in it but i do think it shows really well how the royal family is in a way controlled by advisors and how they're told what and what to do based on their advisors and i think it gives mm. a really good look on how they're not just these free people walking around as harry said they're trapped those would be my two recommendations amana i think well i sort of said already yeah trying to expose yourself to a diverse range of medias one thing i would recommend looking at is the creative access scheme which is a social enterprise unrivaled in diverse recruitment training and inclusion we work with organizations across the whole creative economy so what they do is they get people from underrepresented backgrounds so socioeconomic backgrounds that are unrepresented and try to make the creative industries more accessible for those people uh, train those people and also just yeah work on those industries themselves and think about how they can do things differently and so projects like that are so encouraging because you you think well there's loads of people there's loads of great things happening and people are trying to change and I think that when you have a diverse range of voices in an industry like the media naturally you will start to see change so it's like pushing for those for those things uplift voices that you feel like are saying something you haven't heard before like if you see an interesting article take the time to read it and then share it with your friends and yeah just try and look outside your bubble is what i would say we will post some more recommendations over the coming week or so about like ways that you can sort of maybe come outside your bubble because both of us listen to things and read things that maybe would be of interest to you guys so we'll have a think about those things and share them thank you for listening to our episode today subscribe to us on our audio platforms on spotify and apple podcast also follow us on instagram and twitter it's bye for now bye